Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing in our sermon series this summer, By Faith Living. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 29. Hebrews 11, this is now the word of God. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now, guide our thoughts and our hearts, that you would grant to us your light and courage, that we may walk the path of faith And hearing our good shepherd's voice, we might obey his word. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we've been studying the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 11, this portrait gallery of faith, I confess that I keep returning uh, returning to a question in my own heart, and maybe you have as well. Am I a person of faith? Are you a person of faith? I don't mean to suggest or question if we question the doctrines of the Christian faith. But do I really trust in God? The author of Hebrews has been unpacking saving faith really throughout the whole book and gives constant warning what we really battle and struggle against in this life is not material, but it's spiritual. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, See to it, or take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. What causes a person to fall away from the living God? Unbelief. We've already seen in chapter 11 that the only way to please God, that which keeps us close to His presence on a daily basis, is faith. Faith is a necessity. It's not an optional component of the Christian life. Saving faith, we might say, is faith in action. It's not passive or private, but it's a sustained attitude that gives up dependence upon self and instead relies upon God and Jesus Christ. And the believers in Hebrews here were sorely tempted to give in. They were sorely tempted to allow the muscles of their faith to atrophy due to the surrounding trials, the dangers, and the tribulations. And so the author gives us this portrait gallery of faith to encourage us to move towards maturity rather than atrophy. And in this gallery, as we've seen, every picture tells a story. And so this morning we have three pictures uh, that I'm going to touch on briefly, and I hope will encourage each of us to move towards deeper faith in the living God. So let's look back at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let's, if you've got your Bible open, let's look back in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 14. Hope you keep your Bibles open. We'll be jumping around to a couple passages this morning. I trust many of us remember the background to this story. Pastor Wheat talked about it last week. Moses faces off against... Uh, Pharaoh, Moses, who is the deliverer sent by Yahweh, 
uh, does battle, so to speak, with the most powerful person on the earth. But it's no big deal because he was called by the Most High God to do it. And after a dramatic unfolding of events in the story of the Passover and the ten plagues, which if you haven't read it in Exodus, I encourage you to read it at home. Don't just see the movie. Uh, But the people of Israel have left Egypt after 400 years of bondage and slavery. And not only have they been set free by God, but God was going out with them. And they find themselves being guarded by a pillar of cloud and an angel of the Lord who's guiding them and protecting them. He's guiding them and protecting them from the front as well as from behind. Because you see, this cloud that brought light to the children of Israel also brought darkness to the Egyptians. And many of us, we can picture this, can't we? If you've ever taken off in an airplane and are flying on a cloudy day, the moment would just when you get to a high enough altitude, you know that it's like a totally different picture. It's a new day, the clouds which have been hiding the sun. And so the Egyptians decide, after the Israelites have been let go, they decide, wait a second, what were we thinking letting these slaves free? And so they say, let's send 600 of our best chariots, and let's go back and get them. Or if we can't bring them back, let's kill them. Now let's look at the text in verse 8 of chapter 14. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now if you have the NIV, the translation might be, we're going out boldly. I like that translation better. So while the Egyptians were running after, were hunting down the Israelites, we were were told they were marching out boldly. They had made a terrific start. A good start is a good thing. And they've made a good beginning on their journey. But now look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. They were terrified after they saw the armies coming after them. And they begin to criticize, oh God, how did we get here? And then to Moses, what are you doing to us? Don't you realize how great we had it? How could this be? Just a moment ago, they were marching out boldly to the promised land. And as soon as they hit the first obstacle, what happened? They cried out to God and they criticized the leadership. Not much has changed, has it? Doesn't matter, you could go from church to church, and when God says, let's get going, and we say in faith, yes, let's march out boldly. But as soon as failure begins to breed and brew, people look around and say, whose bright idea was this? So what does leadership do? Takes a survey. No. Doesn't go around and checks to see how everyone feels about it. Well, if you really want to go back to slavery, I guess we can make our way back. No. Look at Moses in verse 13. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Children, all you have to do is be silent and be still. Don't do anything. What a dramatic expression of faith by Moses when you consider what he's got going for him. 
He's got a charging army of Egyptians behind him. He's got a cranky, complaining, whining, weak people all around him. And he's got the Red Sea in front of him. And he's got a stick. But he's also got the promises and the commands of God. Now who among us would like to be in Moses' shoes? You've got a whole army of, of Egyptians hunting you. You've got people who can't stand you by your side. And you've got miles of sea in front of you. And your stick. And you stand up and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Where did he get that? What did he eat for breakfast? Are you nuts? Moses says, I'm basing this on the fact that God said, we're never going to see these Egyptians ever again. And he told me to put this stick over the sea, so that's what I'm going to do. And he'll take it from here. You see, we don't have to worry about how he's going to part the sea. We just have to stand there with the thing stretched out over the water and see his deliverance. So many of us miss seeing the rescue that God can bring because we are obsessed with how God is going to take care of something. He says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Just do what I told you by faith. Nothing but faith could have enabled Moses to do what he did and the people to follow him. Interestingly, the Egyptians, when they try to cross the sea, doesn't work. And we can imagine they're thinking, okay, well, those chumps made it through. Surely it'll be no problem for us, right? Well, what happened? They drowned. Why? Because faith and presumption are two different things. The Egyptians were not operating on the word of God. They did not have his promises. They didn't know what Israel knew. They just went along with the program. And some of you are in church and you sing the same songs. And maybe you go to Bible studies or Sunday school. You might even serve in some way. But you're just going along with the program. And what's the missing link? Faith. By faith. Saving faith. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, we have peace with God because of faith in Jesus Christ. The non-believer says, I can have peace. I don't need all that justification stuff. I'll find it in my job, in my money, in my reputation, or in all the cool stuff I can acquire. And so many people have the notion or the appearance of peace, but they don't know real peace. They don't know it because they're not living by faith. By faith, those trusting, faltering, stumbling, argumentative sinners like you and me pass through dry land. How gracious of God. If God was like us, well, the first strike and we're out. When we're shaking in our boots with terror, how many of us have started out boldly, who've made a good start, Maybe even this morning you woke up early, you read a little bit of your Bible, you had your cereal, and not even 15 minutes later, what are we doing? We're shaking, we're afraid, we're frustrated. We say, no, I don't want to ruffle any feathers today with my obedience to Christ. I'm not here to make trouble. You and I are just like these folks in the Bible, aren't we? But God understands and he loves his children with an everlasting love. And he looked down and he saw them 
And nevertheless, he led them to safety. He led them to the promised land. Let's look at our next picture. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 30. The walls of Jericho. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Some of you know this story. Maybe some of you don't. Uh, But even if you do, it's a good side note that whenever we come to stories in the Bible, we should read them just like we've never heard them before. Uh, Because if you don't, then it's just not as much fun. But verse 30 is referring to Joshua chapter 6. So let's look back at Joshua chapter 6 in our Old Testament. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 2, after the people of God had been led out, that they'd crossed the Red Sea and they'd wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, finally they're going to make it home. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. The Lord says a prophetic word to Joshua. He says, it's as good as done. And Joshua, as an untrained army of nomads, uh, it's not exactly what you'd want to stack up to invade a walled and fortified city. But it's a done deal as far as God is concerned. And if you're Joshua, you're wondering, how is this going to happen? God says, okay, let me tell you what you're going to do. Joshua, you may want to get out a pen or pencil and take this down. Okay, got a pen or pencil. Uh, You shall march around the city, all your men of war, for six days. Joshua says to God, okay, we can do that. Uh, We're going to yell. We're going to intimidate them. Are we going to plant tricks and hide things? No. Be silent. Okay. Uh, I want you to walk around and take seven priests with seven trumpets, but don't blow them yet. But on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets then. Okay, got it. Now let's, let's be honest. If you're Joshua, what are you thinking right now? God has spoke, walk around the city. How are we going to take down the walls? How are they going to fall down? Why would anyone in their right minds do that? By faith, no plausible explanation that God, other than that God has made his word clear. And Joshua and the people of Israel act on the basis of the word they claim to believe. There's a group of armed men in front of them. Can you imagine in the city the people looking down at this site, the people of Israel walking around in this scene? They're standing at the top looking down and they say, well, looks like they're about to invade There's an army down there, Uh, there are priests down there, there's seven of them, Uh, they've got the ark with them, man, they take that thing everywhere. Uh, Wonder what they're going to do next. Go around the whole way, okay, they're walking around. They get back to Joshua, and Joshua says to his people, okay, fellas, that's going to do it for today, see you same time tomorrow morning. That's it? That's it. So maybe they're thinking, well, maybe we're just practicing today. We're just doing drills. We're walking around. And then maybe uh, we're going to invade tomorrow. Second day, same thing. Third day, same thing. Fourth day, and so on. Nothing. They're walking around the walls, accomplished nothing. The people walking around don't know what's going on. The people in the city don't know what's going on. But God knows. 
And when the world looks at the people of God, it concludes that there's really nothing going on. And yet God is working out his purposes. People, nothing is happening in here. Look again. By faith. People absent the word of God or belief would have not done what they did. If you put the people of Israel together and say, we've got to take this city called Jericho. Let's get a group together. Let's plan a strategy. What would it look like? Well, probably they would have decided on political intrigue, not a march in silence. They would have built battering rams. After all, how do you take down walls? You got to knock them down. They wouldn't have just blown a trumpet, not by power, not by might. But by my spirit, says the Lord. God says, I don't want you to do it that way. But I want you to walk around these walls in total silence. Why? Because only the Lord's involvement is going to bring down these walls. And the people and their enemies needed to know that. This is only going to be the Lord's doing. It's not their doing. And no matter how often we might plan or prepare or try, even when it's well-intentioned, we try to tear down and build up by our own ideas, don't we? Which is often why we don't see walls fall down. If instead, if we're prepared to be men and women of faith, the only thing these people had to go on was the word of God. If we're prepared to do that, we'll see walls come down left and right. These believers in Hebrews that the author is writing to, all they had to go on was the word of God. They were being attacked all around them with worldly wisdom and pressure. They were facing attack even from the Jews. They were confronted by all kinds of superstition. And all they had to do, the writer tells them, is to stand up and proclaim the message of a Galilean carpenter. That the Lord Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. Believer in Christ, preserve under trial. God says, I'll bring the walls down. But do we believe that? There was a recent survey at Stanford University, uh, not exactly the bastion of Christianity in America, uh, but a survey of the student body uh, asking them to explain what Christianity is. Not if they themselves were Christians or believed in Christianity, but what is Christianity? You know what the results were? Overwhelmingly, that Christianity is a political organization. Now, why would they say that? Because too often, the church is. Too often, the church is a bunch of agendas rather than a bunch of radical crazies who are prepared to go into the world and proclaim the message of a Galilean carpenter. Do you believe that the death of Jesus is the only answer to this mess in our hearts and this mess in the world? That regardless of how powerful or prominent, it doesn't matter because all day every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Am I prepared, are you prepared, to live in such simplicity and obscurity in the world's eyes and march around in silence and for the world to say they're a bunch of crazies? Or are we just going to play church? The world is not put off when we use their methods to gain power. Paul says, we don't wage war with the way the world wages war. It's the power of living your life by faith. 
And Jesus sweetly told his followers, as he tells us this morning, Lo, I am with you, even to the very end. John Chrysostom, the ancient church father, said, Assuredly, the sounds of trumpets is unable to cast down stones, though one blow for 10,000 years. But faith, faith can do all things. And thirdly, and lastly, our last picture this morning. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Well, this story is found in Joshua chapter 2. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. It's the best sound in the world. Bible's pages turning. Rahab is a prostitute and Joshua is sent out before he's gone up, even before they get to in Joshua uh, 6, the walls of Jericho. Uh, He sent out these spies uh, to do reconnaissance and being sneaky, uh, they decide to hide out out in a prostitute's house. No one is going to look for Hebrew spies, particularly those called uh, to moral purity in a house of disrepute. But that's where they stay. And she has given them a friendly welcome. Uh, She goes against uh, her people, uh, her family, her nation, and she believed the word of God. She didn't have any reason to. She was risking her very life and her very family. And yet she gives uh, safe harbor to these spies. It's amazing uh, that her story is found uh, in Hebrews 11. Uh, maybe we're a little surprised uh, that her that her name is there. How in the world does a prostitute make it into the hall of faith? It's embarrassing, isn't it? No, it's outstanding. Because how did you or I get on the list? Did God look down at us and say, "Now there's a real butte. That's a good person." That's a real scholar and a stellar example. That's a good person. That's who I want on my team. No. Mean, wretched, rebellious people. And one of the many reasons why many people will never find their name on the list is that some of us are unwilling to admit that we're terrible to begin with. People think, how wonderful am I? And the wisdom and the way of the world, especially in our own modern age, is is to promote self-esteem. The beautiful thing, by the way, is that in the gospel, uh, we find true self-esteem. We find true dignity and value and worth. It's better than thinking I'm great. It's that the Lord loves me and that he likes me, that he wants to be with me forever. That's why he goes to such a great extent and lives the life that you and I should have lived and dies the death in our place upon a cross. And that's how we get in. Not by thinking that we're special. Not by thinking that we have a great reputation. The only way any of us, Rahab the prostitute, or anybody gets on the list 
is like the prayer of the tax collector. When Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee comes and prays this great prayer. He says, Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me like all these other people out here. I give my tithe. I serve. I come to temple. I do all the right things. And interestingly enough, Jesus never corrects the Pharisee's prayer. It's not that he lies, but it's that his heart is far from God. Because he's worshiping himself. He's promoting himself. But the tax collector who was wicked and an outcast, he can't even lift his eyes towards heaven. He just simply and he humbly prays, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the person who goes away justified. That's the person who makes it on the list. Rahab was a prostitute, but she's here because she trusted God against all rational, all sane, all practical reasons. And she gives um, shelter and she lets these spies hide out in her house. And as they hide out and they do their reconnaissance mission, at the end, if you read uh, Joshua 2, later when you go home, you can see that uh, as they were leaving, she begs them, when you invade, please give me and my family safety. And they say, okay, well, here's what you do. Take a red cord and hang it in the, the window, the same window that they uh, hid and got into her house from, so that when the invasion comes, she and all of her household will be spared because they are covered inside the house that has the red cord hanging in the window. Remind you of anything? Passover, the angel of death passes over those houses in Egypt, not because someone was a Jew or an Egyptian. There were Egyptians who were spared and probably there were Jews who were not spared by the angel of death. You know what the difference was? You were covered by the blood of the lamb who was slain. And Rahab the prostitute was covered in her house with a scarlet cord that anticipates the blood of our Lord Jesus. Which, by the way, is another thing I love about Rahab the prostitute. Have you read the genealogy lately of Jesus Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth? You go back, his great-grandparents and great-grandparents. There's Rahab the prostitute. Jesus of Nazareth is a descendant of a prostitute. Oh, how wonderful are the ways of God and how mysterious God moves in mysterious ways. And likewise, we're all like Rahab. We're all unclean. We're all fallen. We're all shocked to find our name on the list. We need some Rahabs in our midst. And if you're here this morning, whatever is in your past, let me say that God delights to grant forgiveness to the likes of you and me. It's a wonderful anticipation. There's no explanation for what Rahab did or why other than she believed God and was willing to run the risk of going against her family and her friends and her nation for the sake of Christ. And that's exactly what the readers of Hebrews and what you and me have to face as well, don't we? We're going to have to live on the edge. And unless we are willing to be like Rahab and the Israelites who circled walls in silence, 
And Israelites who stepped out onto dry land in the Red Sea. And Moses, who's got enemies behind him, cranky, terrible friends around him, and a sea in front of him. And all he does is put out his stick by faith, not worrying or obsessing over how is God going to make this work? How is God going to fix this? He just does what he's told. He just trusts and he obeys. Unless we all live by this type of faith, then we're never going to make it home. And not to give away the end next week, but if you look in your Bibles to chapter 12, verse 1 in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, not to our circumstances, not to our problems, not to our fears or our worries or anxieties, but looking to Jesus, who's called what? The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Do you notice that? He's not just the founder, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. Quit trying to do it all. Quit trying to have it all. Quit trying to manipulate circumstances and situation and even God and trying to build this life we think we deserve or have to have. And rest. Do nothing. But see the deliverance that God will bring by faith, not by sight. These people believed on the Lord and they trusted His power to save. That's faith. And I pray that's what all of us center our minds and our hearts around as we go from this place and simply live by faith, trusting that our Master who began a good work in us will bring it about until the day of completion. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these great clouds of witnesses and these examples all around us, not just in the book of Hebrews, but so many mentors and friends and leaders in Your church who model daily what it looks like to die to self and to live to righteousness. Would You create in us a clean heart? Would You give us eyes of faith? Would You enable and equip us to see the deliverance that You're going to bring? Thank you, Jesus. It's not about what we do, but it's what you have done. We pray this all in your matchless name. Amen.